We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the second episode of Series 10 of Doctor Who, Smile, by Frank Cottrell Boyce. As the Doctor prepares to take Bill somewhere in space and time, Nardole reminds the Doctor of his oath not to leave Earth except in an emergency. The Doctor assures him that he will keep his oath, but promptly scuttles off with Bill anyway. They arrive on one of Earth's new colony worlds, but no one is there, except the Vardy, insect-like robot drones and their emojibot controllers. The Vardy are so plentiful that they have used their bodies to create the massive city. The Doctor theorizes that the Vardy were sent first to prepare the planet, awaiting the arrival of the colony ship, but the Vardy still should have had some humans with them, all of whom are missing. The Doctor realizes that the Vardy have killed them all and turned them into fertilizer. For some reason, they'll kill anyone who isn't happy and smiling. Deciding that this is a death trap for the coming colonists, the Doctor decides to blow it up. But his plan hits a snag when he discovers that the colonists are already there in suspended animation, and his arrival has triggered the reawakening sequence. The Doctor struggles to prevent a war between the colonists and the Vardy, realizing that the colonists cannot win against the entire city. When the Doctor realizes that the Vardy are an emergent artificial life form, he gets a new plan. Blow up the city! But somehow he blows it up without harming it or the inhabitants. However, it did wipe the Vardy's minds, and now the colonists must negotiate with the Vardy to live in their home. So Frank Cottrell Boyce, the man who brought us in the forest of the night. One of the poorest episodes of Doctor Who ever made, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. So what did you think of Smile? This is a... Wow. Um, this episode defies analysis. Uh, I've watched it twice. Mm-hmm. My notes are like three sentences. Hmm. Because I just, I just did not know what to write about it from an analytical point of view. Having said that... Um, I actually liked it. I liked it a lot. All right. Uh, I, I enjoyed the episode. I, I'm, uh, you know, willing to cut Mr. Cottrell Boyce, um, some slack for this one. Um, because he did have a heck of a lot of baggage in my mind coming into this one. Um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't realize who it was who had written it. I didn't bother to look up, um, his past writing credits, how would that have? It, yeah. Well, well, I'm wondering would that have colored my uh, my thoughts on it? Uh, I get probably not. Uh, I don't. I mean, obviously, I would have gone into it with great skepticism. I was already going into it with a little bit of uh, not skepticism, but um, I was a little wary mm-hmm. because I mean, we we both enjoyed pilot mm-hmm. a great deal, and of course, the big concern we had was. With other writers, are we going to maintain this kind of tone? Uh, and uh, as far as I could see, the the tone that we got in pilot pretty well kind of covered for the most part. I, I, think, I think I think that because as it happens, I just listened to our 
podcast on the pilot this morning, and uh, as I was listening to the uh, the opening, um, there was a lot of very similar comments in my mind. It's like there's not a lot of story here. Um, it's still about the doctor and Bill. Yep. You know, in many cases, this is a two hander, and they're you know still building that dynamic and uh-huh. and and well i mean uh, bill is figuring the doctor out um throughout the course of this she's learning new things still she's still uh, engaged and eager uh in in learning and and seeing new things and you know even down to even down to the scene where the doctor says where do you want to go past or future and she goes future I'm like why and, and i the, the answer of I want to see if it's all happy was a little bit trite, considering that the name of the episode was Smile. And so, I mean, that was – Yeah. That was try. But, you know, th- this is one that has freaked me out about companions in, in Doctor Who that sometimes – eh, I don't know. It's like, no, future, future. Come on, future. <laughs> Absolutely the future. <laughs> I don't need to – I mean unless there's a specific event in the past, I don't really care to see the past. I want to know where we're going, not where we've been. Yeah, I – you know, I, I would I would then turn around and go, OK, yeah, 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 I'd love to see the dinosaurs or I'd like to see, uh, you know, different eras of time just to see, you know, how it relates to what I've been taught in TV so it was safe. But uh, first and foremost, absolutely, I want to go to another planet. I want to go <laughs> – out into the future, I, yeah, I do yeah, all and, the cool science fictiony things first. You know, and, and I'm glad it, it, this, this, and I'm glad you just said you know the cool science fictiony things because one of the things that we really liked about Bill is that uh, she's like you know do you you know are, are you a sci-fi fan you know or do you you know I watch science fiction et cetera et cetera et cetera you know we got a lot of that in uh, in the pilot and here she said something which I think really kind of resonated uh, when asked. Why the future? Because I want to know if it's going to be happy, and and all of a sudden it, it occurred to me she if she is a science fiction fan, she may be I mean in in her own way possibly cut from the same cloth as we are in that she's not into the whole dystopia thing. Here we've got uh, a companion that's all about the optimism, yeah, about what the future can hold in store. That that sense of um, wonder and adventure that 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 uh, I think a, a lot of science fiction fans really have not not the bleak you know this is what science has done to us and and now life all sucks thank you Mary Shelley that kind of thing is it a cart before the horse thing is it uh, is it that we've got a character that is that way well. <clears throat> Obviously, it's all a construct of the writer, so that's where it came from. But, but I guess what I'm getting at here is that optimism, a characteristic that has that is coming out of this character that is supposed to be surprising us all, or is that one of the characteristics that the doctor saw in her in the first place that ooh. singled her out? Uh, ooh, good question. Very good question. Um, that's something we may uncover down the road. All I know is that at the moment, I like the fact that this is the characteristic that Bill has. Whether the doctor picked her out for that or not, I, I suppose we'll figure that out later on. Because isn't isn't that what he has always – okay, always is a 
Well, that's a pretty solid. See, yeah, it's that, that, always this long word because previously yeah. in Doctor Who we didn't have always. So in the post two thousand five Doctor Who, we have been repeatedly told that the Doctor needs a human being to see it all through their eyes again, to to make it fresh and anew for him. Mm-hmm. And he has picked the perfect. He picked absolutely. He which, picked the right one again. Is down to I think he picked it because she's going in wide eyed with a big smile. It's like, <laughs> it's like, and maybe maybe that is why because again he he points out you know whenever he says something that people don't understand in his lectures she smiles. Mm-hmm. So he's that could be it. He could be seeing, you know, if if indeed, and you know, we're we're kind of projecting a lot in terms of uh, what maybe the Grand Moff had in mind for this character, uh, you know, as, as a personality trait, and that the other writers are going to be picking up down the road. Uh, you know, we're we're kind of guessing that maybe it, it is that wide-eyed uh, sense of optimism that the Doctor's really intrigued with. Um, that's you know, I. That that's a really really good point, and and you know, Doctor Heal thyself. So he has, um, we, we you know, over and over. Oh, you shouldn't be traveling alone. Oh, it's like to the, you know, you've you're you get dangerous or you get whatever when you're traveling alone. And so even when a companion leaves him, they're always constantly telling him, "You need to find somebody." Right. Go on, which, you know, is still kind of carrying on that sort of relationship metaphor, which I'm, we're, we're not crazy about and is so totally not in evidence here. I love this um, with Bill. But at the same time, he's been stuck on Earth for a long time. He's been thinking about it. And, you know, he's he's getting the wanderlust that he's not supposed to have from her. He, is, he has picked her out. And at the same time, she's what he needs to get his doctor back on, I think. Mm. So uh, yeah. I'm hoping – I actually, I'm hoping that's what it is um, uh, and not just uh, – because it's not – it's obviously not a com- – this is the first time the doctor's ever picked a companion. Right. And uh, so uh, – Yeah, because he's – yeah, if, I mean if we're going to be considering uh, considering the entire Doctor Who, you know, the entire series is canon, which I suppose we're so- – I guess we're supposed to, you know, I remember, uh, Legopolis, the doctor says, I, you know, um, I always choose my own company. And, uh, he then kind of like pointed a finger at Adric, Tegan and Nissa about why he didn't want them along. And this, this points, this episode here, or, or what we've, we've had with these two episodes clearly demonstrates that, yeah, the doctor is choosing his own company. And I, I think I probably you, and uh, I'm going to wager the rest of Doctor Who fans are finding uh, – and, and probably even the Doctor in his own mind is finding Bill to be a – quite a lovely, refreshing change of pace. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. And uh, I'm not going to – I'm not going to complain in, in any way, shape or form. We have got uh, – uh, and Capaldi is on – he's alive He's uh-huh. sparkling in this. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. The dy- the fun. You know, and I think that's, I mean, that that's one of the things that was really great about Doctor Who in the past. And I, I again, I know I said this uh, regarding Pilot, and I really felt this a lot uh, with Smile. 
if you look back at some of past Doctor Who episodes, and I'm, I'm talking classic, mm-hmm. uh, many of them were kind of – I mean not all of them, but a lot of them were kind of thin on plot, um, heavy on just character interactions. Uh, and we're really seeing that a lot. This really feels like, in terms of tone, this really reminds me of – the old, the older Doctor Who that we used to watch, that that you and I, you know, fell in love with, and you know that why we became fans in the first place. Not one of these uh, really heavily burdened, you know, or maudlin kind of shows that we were getting since RTD came back. Uh, although, may, you know, I guess it could be an argument to be made that the Eccleston was supposed to represent that as well. Uh, I really feel that. I have no idea where the hell I'm going with this. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going anymore. Um, but this, it, it just, it's just so nice to have a, a series that, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of baggage that we don't know about or we're only getting hints at. And, right. you know, the doctor does explain it. I did something terrible. I have to stay on Earth. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, but that's it. That's all we hear about. We're not, it, it's not affecting mm-hmm. directly the adventure like we've seen. In the past, in the past two episodes, you know, this is like the adventure is totally independent and it's all about the sense of adventure, the sense of fun and watching this fabulous chemistry between the doctor and Bill. I, I, I never thought that I was going to enjoy her as much as I am. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and I, so we, we talked a little bit about it last time and, and and I dare say we'll probably talk about it some more. Um, and we've talked about it many, many times in the past about how all of the story arcs and all of the the baggage that have been associated with them. And they've ranged uh, the gamut from the impossible astronaut storyline, which was just, you know, Ugh. tediously drawn in and interjected and 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 badly executed and, and oh, terribly, terribly executed because. You'd have one idea brought forth in one episode, and then you'd come back three or four episodes more, and you'd find out that we're saying something that completely contradicts it. And it's not like the doctor's finding out, aha, it contradicts it. They're just going with it and and running. They're making it up as they go. It's clearly not. It's supposed to look like an intricate plot, and then it's, it's not. not. And then at the, at the opposite end, we have the bad wolf, which was just so, so obviously nobody had a clue where that was going until RTD was writing the second to last episode. He just said, uh, right, everyone throw in a bad wolf somewhere and I'll, I'll pick up the pieces later. (laughs) And, and, and did that. And, and here we have, um, you know, we have been set down in the middle of a doctor's quote unquote adventure, if you will, that it's not an exciting adventure, but, He's doing something. He has a job. He's and he's running away from it, which is very much a parallel of the original. Oh, absolutely. The original Doctor's departure, as I'm supposed to be here doing this, but the Wanderlust is going to take me away. And uh, of course, the difference here is that there's going to be undeniably consequences because. That vault is going to be opened before the end of this. You don't show the gun in Act right. One, <laughs> like, and not use it. But in but Act Two, this is different. We do actually have something there, and conceivably, this is not. 
you know, conceivably this could have a, an actual um, uh, resolution to it that won't be unsatisfying because all it has to do is that for the next eight more episodes, we just have to refer to the fact that he's supposed to be guarding that thing. I would guess somewhere along the line, somebody's going to attempt to get into that. Uh, if we have any episodes in modern day Earth, somebody's going to try to get into it somewhere about halfway through the series. And the doctor will repel them and we still won't want to know what's in it. And you have to ask yourself, was the spaceship there on the campus that burned the things that created wet heather? Was it there investigating the, mm. the vault? Possibly it would explain why there was an alien spaceship at the university or nearby. But, um, but again, that just gives them a setup for a story to repel an alien invasion or an, an alien incursion. So it's not, it's not arc heavy. It's not burdened down. And yet at the same time, it's anchored to this thread. And right. what we know is going to happen towards the end is that somebody's going to open that darn vault. Messy. Yes, quite possibly. Quite, you know, I, I don't know. Or the other one. Or, or the master. Yeah. <laughs> The one of the master. other, one of the masters, or, or maybe that's who's inside the vault. Or, it could be, or I, I don't know. Maybe the Mondasian. There's, there's a Mondasian Cyberman in there. Yeah, it's, it's it could be anything. It could be anything, and it doesn't really matter because it just gives us a place at the end of the series for something to pop out that's a problem. It could be the hand of Omega. <laughs> like, yeah. So the Doctor is guarding it twice on the planet at the same time. Never mind. I don't want to go there. And now, uh, <laughs> so let me ask this about the vault. Do we actually? Does do we? I, I never really got this. Does the Doctor know what's in there, or is he simply under some kind of oath that he's to protect it? I don't know. It, I, I kind of get the feeling that I, he doesn't know. I, I have no idea what what. It, he knows or doesn't know about the inside of the vault. The only thing I got out of it was it looked like it had Gallifreyan writing on it. That's true. And carved in it. So, uh, you know, who, who, you know, we've got the mystery of who he made the oath to. Is it the Time Lords? I mean, they're back. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, it, it, it is... Um, it is a bit of a mystery, but so long as they don't... It's not going to get in the way, it, I don't think. Right. That's it. That's it. As long as it doesn't get in the way, then I think we're in for a fun time. You know, I remember uh, – I, I th don't think it was last season but the season before. And uh, this was you know, when you know, the whole Dr. Clara, am I a good man kind of thing, in which I just loathed to no end. Mm. And the only episode really out of that entire series that I enjoyed, and I know that you did too, was um, Mummy on the Orient Express. I enjoyed Movie on the Orient Express a lot, and that's it's because the I mean we we did have that that baggage, mm -hmm. but it only got in the way in the very beginning, and then and then then it was discussed, and then it was and then we didn't we didn't go back to it, and it had no bearing whatsoever on the remainder of the ep of the episode, and there we just simply had a nice refreshing Doctor Who story. So I, I, I agree as long as whatever this is does not get in the way of their storytelling, uh, I, I think they're in a great place to just tell a lot of um, procedural episodes, shall we say, that, that really are not arc heavy. And speaking of procedural episodes, we also had something in this episode that I adored and I've complained about many a time. 
and only Mark Gattis has been the only writer so far who has um, appealed to me in this way, and that is the Doctor didn't arrive where he wanted to at the end. Right. When they ended back, we're right back where we are, and the tea is in the kettle, and no, it wasn't. He landed somewhere completely else, which, of course, keeps him away from the vault, gets him into another adventure. We're now, we're now back in proper original Doctor Who. You come to the end of the episode, is it Earth 1963? No, it's China in the time of Marco Polo, closed door. No, it's a space station with Cybermen, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I, I'm wondering if they're going to do that through the course of this series, whether this is also going to be the sort of um, – Doctor trying to get back to that vault. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why did you why did you attribute that to Mark Gaddis? Uh, because if you look at his stories, uh, in most cases, the Doctor arrives where he's going, except uh. in Gaddis's stories. So he tries to go to London. Uh, so looking at the zombie episode, he's trying to go to London and he misses it by fifty years in Cardiff. Um, he's in the wrong place when he hits the uh, submarine. Um, it it seems like it seems like that was the one thing that you could almost be sure of that when they would get out of the TARDIS in a Gaddis story they would not be where they were expecting to go. Okay. The, that the doctors and and you know obviously he's an old time he's an old time fan too. And uh, well the only, well I I remember a line and I I I wish I had the the presence of mind to actually quote it. But when the doctor is explaining uh, at the beginning of the episode, he's, he's explaining how the TARDIS works. Oh, yeah. You, you have to negotiate with it. You know, you have to understand where, where, where you want to go and it's something like where you want to go and where the TARDIS takes you and somewhere in between, something like that. That's the point I, between where you want to go and where the TARDIS wants to take you or something like that. Right, something like that. And actually, to me, that felt like a callback to Neil Gaiman. And he also said... He also said something about – she asked him he, – he said he stole it and he, and she was like, oh, well. And he said – and he goes, why? You want to steal it? Why don't you steal it? And she said, well, I couldn't fly it. And he said, I couldn't either, implying that he's learned to fly it and that back when Hartnell and Troughton were the doctor, he just didn't know. Well – As opposed uh, to it being, it being broken. Yeah. Uh, well, there's – I, I, I ugh, there, there's a lot going on back there that we don't know about. I mean, you know, you, you refer back to the impossible girl and there's the one clip of Clara on Gallifrey telling the Hartnell doctor, take this one. It's a bit wonky, but you'll have more fun. <clears throat> and the, yeah, there is that, which of course could be obviously that if that wasn't a retcon nothing was uh in the history of doctor who the impossible girl was a retcon but uh yeah so you know we've always in the early doctor who we were always in the tardis is broken and it is broken the chameleon circuit is definitely broken the doctor is always claiming that the steering is broken but you know some of the companions have like jamie for example have called the doctor out on that and said Face it, you don't know how to fly this thing. And of course, he says, of course I do. But- well, yeah, even Troughton said it in The Five Doctors. For once, I was actually able to steer the TARDIS, and here I am. Mm-hmm. So so is it broken? Does it have a mind of its own? Neil Gaiman posed the idea that it does have a mind of its own. Right. Uh, and that it always takes the Doctor where he needs to be. And again, that goes back to the Doctor's line in this episode. 
mm-hmm. that the, the TARDIS will take you where you need to go. You negotiate. Uh, you negotiate with it. Mm-hmm. So there's – and so, so I think when he, when he said that he didn't know how to fly it, I think – you know I, I don't think it's a question of him being an unqualified uh, – Pilot of a TARDIS, I think had he – I think this one, if, if we're going to accept Neil Gaiman's retcon because he, cause he, uh, the doctor's wife is – that's a another oh, yeah. huge retcon episode. Uh, if we're going to take that, then we, we'd have to assume that this particular TARDIS, um, maybe it was retired because it really did have too much of a mind of its own as opposed to the others. That they will actually, you know, I mean, like, let's say, say the doctor, I mean, not the doctors, but the master's TARDIS. Mm-hmm. I mean, he clearly was able to go anywhere he wanted, and that TARDIS had no problem with it. Mm-hmm. It took him anywhere, or same with the Ronnie. They were able to go any place they wanted. And and we know, and, you know, Keith and I just, I recently watched Invasion of Time again, and there was a reference to that there were two Time Lords who had taken two other time capsules or, or TARDISes. And they they were on uh, on official business, mm-hmm. so I think the idea of the TARDIS actually having uh, a mind of its w- a will of its own and taking its pilot uh, to places other than you know than the operator's design, I think that is unique to this one TARDIS itself. So I wouldn't call it necessarily broken. So when the doctor says, you know, that he didn't know how to fly it either, I think he's simply saying in respect that. This TARDIS, I had to learn to negotiate it. Could be. Could be. Um, let's discuss the concept of the emoji bots, or as the doctor put it, um, a, the utopia for vacuous teens. <laughs> is, it a, is it a remotely credible idea? That, we, that we've been reduced to a, that, a that culture that speaks that in emojis? Build such an incredibly advanced machine. I mean, the Vardy are incredibly I don't believe advanced, it is. and then I, I, no, I, I do not believe it. I, I don't believe it to be. Um, but oddly enough, it didn't bother me. I don't, I don't accept it, not in the slightest. I, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's the least bit credible. Um, but you know, you look back again, and this, okay, you know, earlier in this episode, you, you made reference to the impossible astronaut. We we're seeing a, an interesting change in – at least this is my perception of how the episodes are being constructed. Uh, past seasons, I kind of got the feeling that Moffat was trying to create something that was very sci-fi heavy, which meant – you know. And so if you're going to play in that sandbox, then you need to abide by those rules, and that's something that Moffat never just knew how to do. Uh, and, and the entire season of The Impossible Astronaut clearly um, – May you know illustrated that with this, and again, this this really feels like a great throwback to the classic Doctor Who. That that was fluff. Those episodes were never meant to be taken seriously. Even the dramatic ones, they were not meant to be taken as canonical. I mean, well, canon. You know, you, you can argue that, but they were not meant to be taken as these very sci-fi, scientific, heavy. Uh, grounded kind of episodes, they were meant to be taken as sheer entertainment and just go with the ride. And I think that's what we've got here. So do I think that the emoji thing is credible? No. Do I think that maybe the writer was just trying to insert his own little 
um, uh, editorial Dating, comment yeah. about the, the 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 dumbing down of written communication, possibly. Uh, what was it well executed? Me, yeah, yeah, probably not. Not if you're trying to ex- express yourself in a serious manner. But if you're just trying to make a fluffy statement, you know, or trying to make a statement about something and do it in a fluff-like manner, eh? Well, there it is. Uh, here's the thing for me: I watched the trailers, the various trailers, and you see the emoji robot, and frankly, I dreaded them. I absolutely dreaded them. I thought this is just so stupid of an idea. But again, didn't bother me. Didn't bother me in the episode. It, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, there are better ways for them to communicate. It's not written language. They could have just spoken, but, but they didn't bother me like I expected them to bother me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's good. It's <laughs> like, you know, I can't complain about that. It's just, it's surprising. It was, is it is it possibly because of the way they were used? I think so. As as a, you know, because uh, they are serving as the they're the indicator as to where the story is about to go with a particular character or characters at that time. Mm-hmm. They're indicating, you know, they're they're hinting or suggesting, uh oh, something something bad's about to happen. Oh, now we've got a, we, we've got we've got tears, and oh, oh crap! Now we've got you know the, the the death grin, you know. So I think because they were used in that respect, in addition to just you know like thumbs up or whatever, um, I, I found it, that it was not as insulting as it could have been. Yeah, it it just it just didn't come off as bad as I expected it would. So that that's um, again maybe having low expectations uh, going into it um, and helped maybe maybe. So you know this could be Moffat's last few years have been an incredibly clever ploy. Oh to lower no, my expectations. Oh so no, he's not that season no. would be uh, gangbusters because Grand Moff is not that good. <laughs> He is not that good. I would have to tip my hat. That oh man, actually, if he if he had done that, I would not be tipping my hat. I'd be buying a ticket so I can just bitch slap him for how dare you make my life a living hell for the last three years. <laughs> okay, um, I got a few things that I wrote down here that are in no particular logical order, but the first one is wow. The Valencia Museum of Art and Science. Yes. Oh, no, I, see, I, I got to go there. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that was a, a, an incredibly well chosen location. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was I was uh, blown away when I found out that was real. Yeah, I did the I did the reading on that too, um, and uh, on IMDb, and was just. Floored. There is a on the Doctor Who YouTube channel. There's a. Uh, Bill giving a little tour of that, or Pearl Mackey giving a little tour of it when they were shooting. Uh, if you want to see that, it's it's worth taking a look at. Hmm. It's you know, two or three minutes long, and uh, they just kind of show where it is and what the building's like and what it's supposed to be. And and it, yeah, it's it's amazing. Of course, it's not in a field of wheat. No, but um, you know, there's there's the magic of digital digital effects, and you know. I suppose you didn't have to do the shots in the field of wheat uh, that way, but my whatever. Closing, but but when they were on location and running around in it, it just 
was so much better than that, um, whatever it is, the Millennium, Simon could tell us, Millennium Center in Wales, which they seem to do so much of the futuristic stuff in since prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, the Referring back to our previous discussion last time about the trailer for the pilot being a fake out with the whole Dalek thing and the and wet Heather looking like she was a Dalek-y thing, uh, there was a part in this episode that bugged me. And that is, again, I feel like they did this for the trailer. And that is, we had the shot of, in the trailer, of the doctor going, well, I'm going to go blow it up. And then running off, and then during the course of the trailer, we see the entire city explode in flames and, you know, a massive explosion. And then it happened in the episode, but I can't reconcile that explosion with what happened in the episode, right? So, I mean, he sticks the sonic in the creature's head and then flash of white light, and that's fine, We've done something, but the fact that it actually looks like a physical explosion of, of the building being blown to smithereens, and then everyone wakes up and everything's fine. It's like, they did that effect so they could put it in the trailer. Right. So that they could fake us out. Yeah. What the ending I, of this story is. Uh-huh. And that, that's kind of over the line, because that's a terrible effect for what he did. I mean, ignoring the trailer, but... Visual effect for what the doctor did in rebooting all the Vardy and everything. Um, yeah, that was not good. And I think it was to trick us. Oh, yeah. So. Um, uh, that's Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, I just. You know, but that, that's, that's just the nature of the beast these days. They're, they're, it's, it's all misdirection. And uh, I have grown to accept it. That's not to say that I like it because I don't. That's like one of the it, most it, egregious it, I've ever seen. It okay. is, you know. Well, it's it's dishonest. This, this, some, I mean, you're lying to your audience in some way when you do that. I mean, it, it's 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 a really bizarre form of sleight of hand, in a way. You, you, I guess you could say. Um, so, I mean, I I don't when, when I look at the trailers now, I don't really put a lot of stock in what I'm seeing. I just kind of refer to them to see if I can maybe garner some kind of you know, story tone that maybe the episode's going to take, you know, or are there any individuals or characters that I can look forward to seeing? Uh, and even that I can't rely on mm-hmm. because you never know. I mean, you, you might see, you know, the master show up and then, oh, hey, surprise, it was just a flashback, you know, or something stupid like that. So you can't really rely too heavily on what those trailers are going to be telling you. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that irritating. But it, I just accept because that's that's the way they are now. I mean, movie trailers do it, TV trailers do it. It's that's just the way it is. I I don't mind if they they edit that trailer to be as deceptive as they humanly possibly can. I just feel like if you appearingly change the content of the show or you structure the content of the show in such a way to make a misleading trailer. You know, you're you're working at it backwards there, and and because presumably he reboots the Vardy, <clears throat> and the city are all the Vardy. So, you know, what happens if you reboot them? Would they really kind of go up in a fiery explosion, or would they collapse, or or fly apart in a particle explosion, not a fiery one, or or an electric one, or you know, anything other than that sort of 
actual proper explosion look that they got. And as I, I feel it. And you, you kind of wonder if the digital artist is working on that. And the story says the city, you know, he reboots it and a blast of energy flies out. And they go out and then Moth says, no, no, I got an idea for the trailer. Let's change that. And ugh. anyway, mm. we'll see if yeah. they keep this pattern going. But So question, why is there smoke in the TARDIS all the time? There's like <sighs> steam or smoke or something billowing up all around the sides uh, in in the interior scenes uh, of the episode. And I, <clears throat> First, I thought there was a fire or something. I was like, wait, is, are we, are we, is, is there supposed to be a fire in here? Is there a problem? No, it's just moody, steamy atmosphere. I mm. uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I I think it's just for effect, not not for anything that is a part of the story or whatever they're going through in the TARDIS. It's it's it just looks good. Mm. I I actually found it distracting. It's like because I'm I'm constantly going, where is that coming from? Why is it? It it really was kind of like. Is Nardole smoking in the TARDIS? I don't know <laughs> what is going on back there. Anyway, um, at the beginning, woman comes in from the fields. Her friend is talking to her, mother, friend, sister, whatever she was. And she's like, big old grin on the face. I want you to keep smiling now. And I'm going to tell you your mom's dead. Your sister's dead. <laughs> keep, keep smiling. smiling. Keep smiling. Like, keep smiling. I never got any indication, particularly later in the episode, that the emoji bots would have had any problem whatsoever if when she'd come in and she'd said, okay, we've got this big problem with the emoji bots. You see, see my smile. I'm doing this because they're killing people if you're not smiling. So I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to have a big smile on your face because I'm going to tell you some really bad things, but they're going to kill you if you don't smile. So I think maybe you should smile instead of, not telling her that and just keep saying, just keep smiling. Your mom's dead. Just keep smiling. Your sister's dead. Just keep smiling. And of course, that's not funny. And then the robot kills her. She, everything she did, she should have started with the warning. <laughs> like, And she didn't. And considering the conversations that Bill and the doctor had about the nature of the Vardy and what was going on, they, they weren't concerned. I mean, if you were happy in having a conversation about them killing people, I don't think they would have cared. No, they wouldn't, because you're the, the the people who are you. If you're the person, and you would you were happy. That's all the all the Vardy cared about. Or or even that bit where she was saying, "Don't come in now, don't come in now." Well, I've got to come in. No, don't come in now. <laughs> like, how about don't come in now? They're killing everyone here. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, all sorts of stuff that could have been done. There was, yeah, uh, all right. Well, but it didn't bother me too much. But it just was kind of it was burst up. Like it, it was kind, yeah. It's it's just there, but again, I th- many times, and I'm, and I'm not saying this to justify it because it was stu- kind of dumb. But a lot of these things are done to help really get the the plot going. Mm. Yeah, yeah that, that's it, all it's had for. To get it go. You got to see the threat. Got to see him die. Um, but you know, there could have been so many other ways to do that. Like they could have just seen some people crying and and then being killed, and like, oh, okay. Anyway, so did the planet have a name? No, not that I can recall. I don't think it did. I don't think it did. Although the spaceship did have the word Erewhon on it. E-R-E-H-W-O-N. I'm not sure that was the name of the starship or like that's the name of the expedition to Erewhon 
or or what. But and I cannot remember the name of the book to save my life, but that's actually the name of a place in a famous book. It's the word back nowhere backwards. And so it's a it's a literary reference, but I So it it it's it's the word back a uh, nowhere spelled nowhere backwards? backwards, yeah. E R E H W O N. And and this novel was uh, some writer wrote it about some fancifully weird place, which a lot of people think is probably based on New Zealand because he'd spent some time there. But you know, it's just one of those. It's one of those things. I saw the name on there, and I like I recognize that word, but I can't place it to save my life. And I looked it up, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this is a famous this is a famous uh, old um, novel, hundred year old kind. Oh uh, yeah, thing. from uh, eight. 1972, in fact, uh, Over the Range, I think. That's, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't read it. <laughs> I'm going to admit well, that. Neither right have now. I. I'm, I'm going to admit that right now. I'm not, you know. I'm not familiar with this book. And people go, oh, yes, well, everybody's read you know. It's like, no, I haven't read that one. Well, I'm, I'm not I've everyone. Read Dick, but I have not read that novel. <laughs> it's like, anyway. Um, let's see. Uh, I disliked, again, the don't look in my browser history joke, um, the doctor to Bill. Um, and the reason I dislike it is, you know, it could mean all sorts of things. It could mean all sorts of things. Uh, if we wanted to be nice, we could say, you know, maybe, maybe Bill shouldn't be looking at his browser history because his browser history shows things that she shouldn't know, like the future or, you know, Gallifreyan mathematics or who knows what it might be. But of course the clear implication is don't look at my porn. Nah. You know, I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's what, when somebody says, don't look at my browser history, what they're saying is don't look at the porn I've been watching. Do we really, really think that that's what the doctor does in, in his, in his spare time? Gallifreyan uh, porn. Hmm. Well, would it be Gallifreyan? I mean, he hangs out with a lot of young earth women. Well, so. the, that's true. I mean, I've always I, – I mean, as much as I love the third Doctor, there were times where I really felt he was a dirty old man. Um, <laughs> hmm. And wow. Uh, he he really could be looking at a – maybe he does have alien porn on his, uh, on his, on his web browser. And that's Good the question. second time we've had that. Uh, it joke. is, yes. And, uh, and you know, I, the first time through, I'm willing to bet it was a Moffat – script because that's the that's the kind of ham-fisted thing that Moffat does he's got that sort of crude he has a, 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 a I love coupling the TV series I you know that is Moffat's masterwork uh, it's hilariously funny but it is meant to be a sex comedy, a sex farce. And he, when you're watching that, you think, well, that fits. But then when you realize that he can't not interject it everywhere else, at least in small degrees, this is where I don't trust Moffat in any respect with regards to anything to do with sex. And, you know, did did. Cottrell Boyce insert this or is this one of those things that the story editor decides to interject into it because that's a joke he likes to continue to play I I don't know I I would have 
been happy if that line had been removed, then there would have been absolutely nothing that would have made me think of Moffat in this entire story. But that line, and suddenly it's like, oh, Moffat, really? <laughs> Again? You know, I didn't go oh, there. Well, okay, uh, yeah, okay, and maybe the algae king who fancies me. But um, e- either way. But, all right, let's see. Then, what else do we have? Uh, how do I win? I kick over the board at chess. We saw that with K9 back in... Oh, I don't remember which episode. It's one with Leela. Oh, it's a s- Sunmakers. Ah, wow. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> that you're able to pull it out of your head like that? It was pulled out of somewhere, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the Sunmakers, but um, yeah. Um, well, I guess that's okay. As my son's just back from a chess tournament, and he heard that, and he was like, oh. I'm like, no, no. No, don't try that. It doesn't uh-huh. actually work. It doesn't, doesn't work. Anyway, so next time, London, Victorian era, the Thames, frozen over. The Ice Age and uh, Woolly Mammoth, or actually an elephant, but Woolly Mammoth would have been better. You know, I sort of vaguely remember, because there was a period of time, there was an unusually cold climate period. Um, So, you know, when you think of, uh, when you think of uh, Christmas in England, Right. What? Do you, what? Do you, I mean, what comes to mind? Well, I, uh, cold. Does Dickensian come to mind? Did, well, did oh, well, yes. If, if you're, oh, yes. Now, if you're going to, yes, oh, that is true. If you're, if you're talking about, uh, you know, Christmas time in England, yes, I immediately go uh, to a Christmas Carol. I, I, yes, I think very uh, Charles Dickens at that point. Which is, you know, snow and all that stuff. Well, here's the thing, and and I've not independently verified this, but I. Saw it on a documentary that seemed reasonably, uh, reasonably credible. When Dickens was writing his novels, England was going through an unusual cold snap. That's uncommon weather. It's well, not for it to snow. To, for I, it to I, snow in, but it did for several years at Christmas time around that period of time, and the Thames did freeze over, and uh, it, this was just an unusual cold snap that occurred over a certain period of time. And it's just kind of ingrained in our minds because Dickens created that Christmas uh, uh, ambiance out of his stories that fit with that period of time. And it's carried over. And of course, us being far removed from the UK don't have any, you know, real grasp of how often it really does snow in the South of England around Christmas and, uh, obviously, it does snow there far more than it does here, but um, but that was that was a thing. That was a moment in time when London, in particular, was very cold. And I seem to remember that they had what they called ice fairs uh, on the frozen Thames. It was a, it was a big deal. They built little encampments, and they had these they had these fairs, and they had elephants and wild animals caged you know kind of thing it was was almost like a a a carnival and i'm guessing that's what we're uh that's what we're seeing and i think that's why we got the elephant coming forward i think that's part of one of these ice fairs so assuming that i have any of that history correct and not some complete fabrication that was fed to me at some point in time um i I think that's what we're i think that's what we're looking at could be next time i do i do know that it does get very cold in the winter, 
but snow, I understand, is a rarity. Yeah, so England is sitting, or, or was, pre-global warming, uh, is sitting at the end of the jet stream. So, um, basically, the weather, their climate is actually milder than it would be for their latitude um, because of this, basically, the petering out of it, as I, as I understand it, comes along here. And just like it is in the United States, when the jet stream shifts, you know, if it drops down low then the north of the United States gets a pasting. Yeah, snow and true. Ice. And, and that's basically what it is. It travels across England and it acts as a barrier against the uh, Arctic uh, weather above. And so when it shifts down, um, they, have, they have some problems, <laughs> just like we do here. So uh, anyway, wow, what a fascinating lecture on science, on weather, uh, uh, on, on topics that I could be completely wrong on. <laughs> I suppose I should look them up. Oh, but it sounded good. It did. It did. It sounded really good. In fact, if it's not true, we should put it down anyway. <laughs> ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, FusionPatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at FusionPatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.